Welcome to another on-location edition of the Eastern Approaches podcast, hosted as usual by me, Alex Thompson. You can probably hear my voice is giving out a bit at the end of a rather hectic visit to Yerevan, the capital of Armenia, and today, just before I fly home, I'm joined by Karnik Sarkisyan. For those who have difficulty with Armenian names, the surname is spelt S-A-R-K-I-S-S. I-A-N, and the Christian name is K-A-R-N-I-G. Although, Karnik, in Western Armenia, you reversed the pronunciation of that, don't you? And you would be called Garnik? No, in Eastern Armenia. Uh, this is a long story. Uh, since we were uh, apart, Eastern and uh, Western Armenians, so we developed different pronunciation during uh, centuries. Uh, the reason they called the Karnik, Garnik, they kept the uh, triple, let's say, levels of the consonants. Yes, consonants, and they lost the the uh, the, the nuances of the uh, the voiced, unvoiced, and aspirated yes, or uh, yes. emphatic. But we're not going to get into Caucasian oh, linguistics yes, today. Yes. But that's an interesting nuance when we begin. And for yeah. those who are a bit familiar with Armenia, you actually share an identical name with a very renowned Armenian patriotic singer, Karnik Sarkisyan. So if people start searching for you in their preferred search engine, they're probably going to find a lot of material related to that singer. Of course, yeah. yeah. But, Karnik, you, like me, have been rather busy, in fact, you even busier than me, for the last fortnight, uh, because of the visit of Sheikh Imran Hossein, which we have covered certainly on the Eastern Approaches Telegram channel at length, uh, but also in UK column news broadcasting, at least by the time this goes out I will have mentioned it. And you, together with Givorg Virats, the regular co-host of Eastern Approaches podcast, were nominated by this Trinidadian teacher of Islam, or with Afghan roots, to be the leader of the Armenian visit team. How did that come about? Yeah, interesting. So, first we knew about Sheikh Imran was uh, during the war in Karabakh. This was autumn 2020. Yes. Uh, and uh, Sheikh Imran had a video uh, that was condemning Turkey and Azerbaijan and calling the Islam war to protect or to support Armenians as uh, the oppressed side of the conflict of the, of the conflict and then we realized that he has even deeper understanding of what's going on uh, upon the Armenians and around the Armenians surprisingly deep Karnik he revealed on this visit that back home in Trinidad he has a three inch thick book on his desk on yes, the 30 year yes. history of the Armenian genocide but still, still he was surprised about some uh, other facts or piece of, pieces of data we gave him about the whole situation uh, let me phrase it this way we made it clear to uh, Sheikh Imran that whatever Armenians are suffering now and 100 years ago as the genocide for example it's not uh, just the conflict between two nations or, or, or neighboring uh, countries uh, it has its roots uh, maybe thousands of years uh, before from the days of Haik Haik uh, is the legendary forefather of the Armenians, yes, and in yes. your tradition, he is regarded as being the same person as Melchizedek in uh, Genesis. Yes, so 
uh, our our uh, traditional uh, let's say uh, stories speak about hike that uh, there were 13 giants hike one of them 14,500 years ago uh, they were gathered in Papillon or Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is, for the geologists among us, this is the Younger Dryas event when the Earth, I think it's well known now, was bombarded with cosmic radiation and de debris and people yeah, were seeking yeah. um, uh, refuges in the Earth, right in this area, eastern Anatolia. Yeah, yeah. So Babylon was not existed yet in that time. They gathered they, there to discuss the future of their um, existence on this Earth. The other 12 giants were, were trying to uh, convince Hike that this is a beautiful planet, let's live on it our material life and we don't need any more connection with the divine or with the universe, whatever. Uh, Hike was the only one who ob objected and uh, rejected the idea, uh, insisting that no, we can still enjoy this beautiful planet, uh, but we must keep the, our relation and connection with the divine or with the universe from where we came. Uh, the others, they wanted to enslave the regular humans. To mankind. become yes. as gods for the earth. Yes, yes, yes. and use them to, for, for their pleasure and uh, enjoyment. Hike was against also. Then in the end, uh, of course, uh, Hike disagreeing with the others, left them and returned to the Armenian highland where he came from. And there are waves of this in archaeology, in biblical and other ancient texts. Uh, before you could say a modern Armenian people existed, this area, variously called Urartu or the Southern Caucasus Uplands or whatever you want to yes. call it, Anatolian yes. Highlands, it's perfectly clear that waves of people were fleeing from repression and oppression yeah. in the urbanized environment of Mesopotamia and the Levant. And they kept coming here, waves of people. And the name of this legendary forefather, Hike, there's an old form of the plural, that K in the end, it's the yes. Rabar form. So Haik literally means the Armenians. He's the an embodiment, Armenians, he's yeah. like Father Armenia. Yes, and we were named Armenians after Haik. Uh, we were one of those ancient uh, people who, who lived in this area. We, we call it the Sakard area. Probably a confederation of tribes. Yes, yes, uh, which is today's uh, minor Asia what we call it Minor Asia, which uh, extends from Gaspian Sea to the Bosphorus and then go down uh, till the Nile, let's say. So, this conflict between Hike and Pell, Pell was uh, the leader of the other party which wanted to, uh, to live mm -hmm. uh, material life. And he's often identified with Nimrod, the mighty hunter of Genesis 11. For example, this conflict is the main conflict humanity are experiencing until today. The conflict between the hikes and the Pels. Mm -hmm. uh, between those who observe divine law and those who wish to be effectively Satanists. Uh, or let's say material Materialists. Life. Uh, they, they, want, they, they give more value to the material and the material life than the moral and the spiritual life. So hike and Pell still fighting each other until today. This is our conflict today, and this can explain all the geopolitical developments that the humanity is experiencing, let's say, through the, the last 600 years. That's the period at of least, Ottoman rule. At least, yeah. Now, to introduce just a third Armenian name before we talk about you and your work, uh, besides your forefather, Haik, 
and his adversary Pel, there is a figure in Armenian mythology or legend called Ner, who uh, is associated by all Armenian scholars and uh, storytellers with the idea of the Antichrist, or in Islam, Dajjal, which is a major focus of Sheikh Imran Hossein's teachings. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you been brought up hearing things about Ner as well, or more about Haik and Pel? No, more about Haik and Pel, because that's the main axis and uh, the focus of the conflict that humanity is suffering from. Now, uh, you can say that we should have always the two, uh, uh, the two sides of everything. I mean, the life is based on du dualities, day and night, uh, positive, negative, uh, inhaling, exhaling. Well, to be so, very controversial these days, male and female, if that, we're still allowed to say that. That must be fixed that way, male and female. And between, uh, and the differences between the, the, the two different, different uh, things or, or sides, there must be some harmony. And they should live both of them, no one can eliminate the other, uh, but uh, the, the balance between them, the harmony between them must be uh, protected and, and uh, provided. Uh, we, the Armenians, have this feeling that we are not the black or the white. We can't be. We can't be the light or the darkness. I don't know why, we feel that we can bring the balance between both of them. I've heard you say during this visit, Karnik, that a lot of thinking Armenians, and my goodness, there's a lot of thinkers among the Armenians, right down to people in humble occupations, you often say we can be either angels or devils in this nation. There seems to be very little moral middle ground in this nation. People are either all out for the service of God or all out gangsters. Maybe this, this is one of the reasons that we feel that way, that we must be in the middle bringing the, the balance or the harmony, because all the old uh, proverbs or sayings have meaning. Mm. We have this very famous saying that there is no better than the Armenian and there is no worse than the Armenian. Do give so, us this proverb in Armenian for the listeners. Yeah. Hayen lavachiga, hayen vadachiga. There's, <laughs> it doesn't exist the better than the Armenian and doesn't exist the worse than the Armenian. And that's true. We have extremely evil, uh, evil <laughs> uh, characters and uh, extremely good characters that, that uh, they can become saints, maybe, or, or devils on the other side. So we had them in our uh, history, both, both the good and bad. Maybe we can understand better how to balance between them. I don't know. Well, balance is a key thing for engineers, which is your profession. Yeah. You're a Syrian by birth, a Damascene, yes. and you grew up in Damascus with largely Muslim friends. Of course, the majority is, is Muslim. Yeah. Um, as an ethnic Armenian, uh, most of those, you're very keen to say not all, but most of the Armenians in the Levantine countries, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, arrived after the 1915 genocide by the Ottomans. Some were much more deeply rooted. Uh, so you grew up there in Damascus, as you put it to me during this visit, 
with no problems at all about being an Armenian or being a baptised Christian. Uh, there, this just wasn't an issue in the Hafiz al-Assad time or indeed under his son. Frankly, yeah, frankly speaking, we didn't know in our society, uh, among our friends, who was Christian, who was Muslim, until the Lebanese uh, civil war. Then we start to, to wonder, uh, what is this friend? Is he Muslim or a Christian? And Muslim Sunni or Shia? Yeah. A Christian Orthodox or Christian Catholic? We didn't care about that before. If you talk to Syrians or indeed Lebanese, they will often say, particularly the Armenians who are kind of outliers, they're one of the Christian yeah. groupings, but they're not Arabs. They will often say, and the Druze will say it too, that the tension in the mid-1970s arrived because of um, chauvinism or factionalism within the Christian groupings. Isn't that right? Although it was presented in the Western news as, uh, as Yasser al-Arafat causing problems. That's an artificial uh, fanatism, let's say, because it was meant to bring instability to the Middle East. So the best, maybe, uh, method was to, to, to bring conflict between Christians and Muslims because it's a big mixture, the Middle East, of, of many different cultures. Especially not only, the Levant. Where, yes, yeah. not only Christians and Muslims. Uh, for example, in Syria, uh, there exist 18 different ethnic or religious uh, groups and 12 historic Christian denominations yes and at yes, least yes. half a dozen Islamic denominations yes. and Jews and Druze it's it's uh, it's excellent they were all living in harmony together bringing the differences bring richness to the social life we learned from each other many 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 things and we were accepting each other as they are as they were this is a Kurd, this is a Syriac, this is, um, uh, I don't know what, Yazdi or, or Muslim or Druze. Uh, and uh, So what? Quite. Yeah. Now, you represent, and you are a founder member of, an organization called the Western Armenian National Supreme Council. And you and some others, some of whom were early returners to Soviet Armenia in the 1980s, and some were still in the Levant, formed this to raise awareness of the fact that the vast majority of Armenian territory from before the genocide and the vast majority of Armenian population from before the genocide did not belong in this little sliver of land which emerged as Soviet Armenia and then independent yeah. Armenia. This to you, you call Eastern Armenia, and there are many differences from the core Armenian culture, which is Western Armenian, yeah. in language this is, and food and, ev and everything else. This is a big issue, uh, Alex. First of all, uh, let me uh, correct one expression <laughs> you made. I didn't return. I wasn't from here to return here. I came to Armenia because it is a part of the Armenian land and uh, I was supposed to feel at home in Eastern Armenia. Eastern Armenia and Western Armenia were uh, separated from each other uh, at least 1,000 years ago. Into spheres of influence. Ultimately, it was between the Persians in the East yes. and the Byzantines in the West, neither of whom historically were very 
favourable towards the Armenians. The Persians weren't Christians and the Byzantines were Christians but of an oppressive kind to yeah. you. Uh, but then, of course, later on that Byzantine sphere collapsed into a Turkish and Ottoman sphere 600 years ago, and then the Persian sphere in 1828 was ceded by a treaty with the uh, Tsarists to a, a Russian sphere. So, but yes, you've always yes. had this cultural division cutting off, shall we say, the western two-thirds, the yeah. historical heartland, yeah. from the eastern third of Armenia. People outside, uh, they don't uh, put any differences uh, of them between Eastern and Western Armenia, they said Armenians or Armenia, state of Armenia. No, uh, we have to be careful about all those things. Uh, for example, Eastern Armenia never been occupied by Ottoman Empire and never experienced any genocide. So this must be very clear. We Eastern Armenians were more than 500 years under the Ottoman rule. Western Armenians. Western Armenians, yeah. And uh, we were the subject of the genocide. Mm -hmm. We were, and only we. Now, it is not a privilege. I mean, I'm not putting barriers between us and uh, Eastern Armenia. But today, there's a big game going on that Eastern Armenia called itself in the independence declaration in 1990, as the state of Armenia, Republic of Armenia, they don't have the right to call themselves the Republic of Armenia. Now, the first time this happens, we don't want to get into the weeds of post-World War I history, but you can understand it because with the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk and the newly come to power Bolsheviks renouncing the war as they promised they would, they ceded the West and the South, the Caucasian part of the Tsarist Empire, immediately uh, to the uh, Central Powers. And as a result of that, you got this multi-ethnic blob south of the Caucasus Mountains called the Transcaucasian Commission or the Transcaucasian uh, same. You've got various names for it. Armenia was suddenly caught into that. Yeah, well, and and, uh, and at that time, you know, this collapsed into Georgia. Completely new idea of Azerbaijan. Okay, that the old the name is older, but it used to be in Iran, and and, and it was just used for yeah. a new Turkish nation. And what was left was this little fingernail, which is still on the map today as Armenia. And at that time, they called themselves the Republic of Armenia for the first time in history. You can understand it then because they were in negotiations Let with the great disagree. powers. Let me yeah. disagree with you. It wasn't called the Republic of Armenia. The most uh, used name was the government of Yerevan. Yes, in 1920-21 it was called that, wasn't it? Until then, it was the government of Yerevan. Even one of the leaders of the government of Yerevan in his book mentioned that no one dared to speak about independence or a republic back in do, uh, those days. Mm -hmm. So this is a big, big manipulation of our history and we always find the fingers of Britain involved in it. The, 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 the highland, Armenian highland, was never a Caucasian state. It is one of the fundamental members of the Middle Eastern states. Yes, it has nations. much more topographically, culturally, it has much and more to do is, with the northern Middle East than with the Caucasus. This is very important from the globalist's point of view, the way they think that they can control the globe by controlling the Middle East. To control the Middle East, they knew very well, even long time before, that they must remove Armenians from the map of Middle East. 
then the remaining were manageable according to well, their mentality. If you remove Armenia as a state, and sadly there was a great push to remove them as a people as well through genocide, but if yes. you were to take them at least off the map, then there would be nothing in the way, and I've discussed this with uh, Givor Virats in previous Eastern yeah. Approaches podcasts, there would be nothing in the way of a, a single contiguous ethnic Turkish state or Turkified state stretching from the borders of Greece to China, and this has been called Great Turkestan or Turan, and it Pan, was clearly Panturanism, Panturanism or yeah. Pan-Turkism. Pan it was clearly uh, a motivation for Kemal Atatürk when he overthrew the, 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 the defeated Sultan's government. And I'm sure you will not be surprised that the idea, the ideology of Panturanism, wasn't Turkic ideology. From 1873 yeah. to 1923, all long 50 years, there were different thinkers and writers. They, they had the Turkish names, but they were, in, in fact, not Turks, not even Islam. They were speaking about the glory of the Turanist uh, nation or the, or the people and the great people of, of uh, Seljuks and the Turks, blah, 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 blah. So it is not the product of the Turks. The Turks were a tool yes. to create this strategic path from, you, from Greece to China. And you identify this group of people who, in the middle of that period, uh, mounted a putsch and got rid of the Sultan and called themselves the Young Turks. You identify them very strongly with Freemasonry, yeah. with certain Italian Freemasons such as Giuseppe Mazzini, M-A-Z-Z-I-N-I, very well known for his correspondence with Albert Pike and the idea yeah. of three world wars. Yeah. And you identify it with the rising political Zionism of the time. Yeah, yeah. Let's put them in order. The, the Masonic Lodge in Thessaloniki. Or Salonica, we sometimes yes, say in English. That was Italian Lodge uh, named uh, Libertà. Uh, all the meetings of the Young Turks were conducted in that uh, lodge mm -hmm. and uh, directed by, by the lodge. This is one thing. This is also the city where Kemal yeah, Atatürk came from. Yeah, Mustafa Kemal. But me personally, I consider in, even the Freemasonry one of the tools. They are not a ruling mechanism. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are just a tool. Uh, that's why, for example, before the, the changing of, of regime in Ottoman Empire in 1908, uh, in 1902, 3 and 4, start to establish uh, lodges. Masonic lodges in, in Izmir, Ankara, and Istanbul, uh, Constantinopolis, uh, to prepare for the coup. So let's put them in order. The globalists, the Illuminatis, are something different. Giuseppe Mazzini was the, the philosopher, let's say, of the Illuminati, mm -hmm. the, the thinker of the Illuminati. Albert Pike was one of the founding members and he was being a general in the American army. So uh, Giuseppe Mazzini wrote to Albert Pike in 1871, I think, yeah, if just, I'm not mistaken. Just six years after the ceasefire of the US Civil War. Yeah, asking, asking Albert Pike to put a blueprint uh, for conquering the, the globe. He mentioned 20 cities to be bases, and Charleston, South Carolina was the US one, I remember. Anyway, there, the, uh, the, the answering letter of Albert Pike to, to Giuseppe Mazzini, uh, that consists blueprint, uh, the 
it was mentioned that uh, there that uh, we need three world wars to achieve the one world government or the global system, unipolar mm -hmm. system. The both first and second wars, uh, they just happened as it was described mm -hmm. in Albert Pike's letter. The third one, Albert Pike said, the third world war will happen between the civilized Christian, Zion, Christian Zionist, world. Yeah. Zionist bloc. So we could say Judeo-Christian, to yeah. use a phrase that's become popular. And the Islam, Islamic State. Islamic State, imagine. Quite a term, because this is, in 1871, that was only a historical term. This, this, this is something from the early centuries of Islam yeah. that you learnt about at school in Syria when writing your yeah. Arabic essays. This was something from the very early Middle Ages. And yet Mazzini and Pike are discussing an Islamic State in yes. 1870. yes. yes. So, uh, first when I read this, this document was 2006, and I was wondering which Islamic state, Iran, Saudi Arabia, it, it doesn't fit. Then in <laughs> 2011, we started to understand which Islamic state was mentioned there. What I wanted to say that this document, the original, was uh, exhibited in, in the, the Museum of London until 1975. That's right. In fact, it was hanging on the wall of the British Library, which in those days was housed in the Oval Building in the courtyard of the British Museum yeah. in Russell Square. Then, then this if I remember, Mr. Rothschild became a trustee of the British Museum, and that was whisked off the wall. Okay. Now, if you go and ask the British Museum about that document, they will say it never existed. They will deny it at all. Anyway, anyway, we, we don't want to go... Uh, uh, in places that are not necessary for us now. Uh, so the Western Armenian case is, is a big case. It's not just uh, one of the wars that we hear about uh, now and then. It is about eliminating Armenian state and people and existence from the Middle East, from the body of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Because Middle East, as the human has, let's say, seven chakras, the, the, the planet has its own chakras, and Middle East is the heart chakra of, of uh, the, the globe. All the religions have come from here, except those yes, that came from whoever India. whoever controls the Middle East. So that's why it was necessary to eliminate the Armenians, then to, to, create, uh, to create cloves to control the Middle East. There was the vertical clove, uh, made made uh, by Israel and Turkey, the modern Turkey. So that's a north-south splitting of the Middle East. Yes, yes. and the east-west, the, the Shah, Shahin Shah Iran, in the, the days of, yeah. Until 1979. Yes, yeah. and uh, King Farouk's Egypt. That's why if you, if you look closely to the chronology of the events happened, uh, especially from the 1950 until 1980. It's very interesting. For example, 1953, the revolution led by Jamal Abdel Nasser uh, that, that, that put an end to the King Farouk's role, uh, it broke the, the, the formula in the Middle East. Yes. Immediately in 1956, if you remember, there was triple uh, aggression against uh, Egypt, against Abdel Nasser, uh, England, France and Israel together. 
they attacked. That's the Suez crisis. Then 67, the war, the war of 67. And until in 1970, they assassinated uh, Abdel Nasser by poisoning uh, him uh, through the leader of the uh, Is Islam Brothers. The Muslim Brotherhood. Muslim yes. Brotherhood. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood is an organization that was formed after the young Syria and the young uh, uh, Egypt uh, movements. All young movements were created by Giuseppe Mazzini. So there was Young Italy to start with, yes. and it went round Europe, and in the end you even had a group called Young Armenia, and of they course, participated course, in the of genocide course, of Armenia. Of course, of course, yes, yes, and they became an, uh, a political party later on uh, that controlled even the diaspora for a long time, that party. Is, is Which was a product of Giuseppe Mazzini, huh? like the Soros organizations of today. Yes. Giuseppe Mazzini's movements of, of young... Yes, the, uh, the first colour revolution, uh, yes, aren't they? Yes. Is, is this why you Western Armenians in exile have always had a plurality of organisations that claim to represent you? Some are more, shall we say, puppets of others and some are more independent. Because you told me on this visit that you Western Armenians have three rival governments in exile yeah. and the Supreme yeah. Council that you're let's, on. Let's don't jump from uh, one, one uh, point to another because I want to make it clear that uh, how um, we were speaking about the chronology yes, of the events that. happened. They assassinated Jamal Abdel Nasser, then brought Anwar Sadat and prepared the, the peace uh, agreement with Israel with Anwar al-Sadat. Anwar Sadat came to the role and then the movements in Iran started until Khomeini was there. And, and the same year Sadat got assassinated. Once the Khomeini uh, stepped in Iran, Sadat went to Jerusalem. All the events, they are related all together because they don't want to break this pressure mechanism, the vertical and the horizontal, we yes. spoke about it. On, on the Middle East. And just in passing, this arrangement of drawing a great big plus sign across yeah. the Middle East is now being replicated in Europe by arguably the same uh, powers because we at UK Column have covered Yevhen Karas, one of the leaders of one of these extremist yeah. Ukrainian militias, Svoboda or C-14, who gleefully says, he leaves out Israel, but he says that the West and East axis is now Britain, Germany, Poland, Ukraine, and he hints that the North South is Scandinavia, Ukraine, Turkey, and he doesn't mention Israel. So the same strategy again. Yeah, so about the Armenian parties, after the uh, forcible deportation from Western Armenia, uh, directly first to Middle East, to Syria particularly, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, Palestine. Uh, we, had, we had the existence in Palestine since uh, maybe 2,000 years, it's not new. But uh, some part went to Palestine, some part to Jordan, etc. So there were revolutionary parties already in Western Armenia during the Ottoman Empire resisting the oppression and mm -hmm. uh, trying to get uh, independence, etc. And when the massacres came over and uh, forcible uh, deportation, some leaders of those parties, they were refugees in Syria and Lebanon, they reformed the parties. But, and surprisingly, Britain and France, they urged to help those parties, to finance them. This and is something we're familiar with in the current yes, day as well. Under, under the, the slogans of uh, helping them to build 
orphanages, yeah. schools, churches. Nowadays we call that soft yeah. power and the NGO complex. Yes. But in fact, they were controlling the diaspora Armenians, the deported Armenians, and it was it was forbidden any revenge action from those uh, diaspora Armenians. And who would control the diaspora Armenians but the church, the parties that were paid by Britain and France. So that's why... This uh, was replicated even in the Soviet Union because yes. in Stalin's time, uh, even up to th through to Khrushchev's time, it was forbidden for Armenians to say that they had been subject to a genocide because there was this Soviet Union-Turkish standoff, yeah. territorial claims. Only in 1965 did it become permitted, in, even in the Soviet Union, to talk about this. Uh, and even then you weren't allowed to talk about the land claim of Western Armenia. And increasingly we understand that the Soviet Union was created by the same Western yeah. financial in powers. In fact, what happened? All those parties, they started to speak about the genocide only. And seeking the recognition of the world about the genocide. Why? I mean, now, now we, are, we are giving these big questions. For God's sake, which international law chapter or, or article uh, says that recognition is required first to return our lands? None whatsoever. None, of course. But this was planned again and again. The fingerprint is won by the British uh, secret uh, services so you, they've got to focus you. to let the diaspora Armenian focus on the genocide issue and only by uh, the part of recognizing the genocide they've got you to use an English phrase they have got you banging your head against the wall yes, for a whole generation exactly. about this and exactly. becoming very excited when the 29th parliament somewhere in the world recognized the, the Armenian genocide on the popular level the people were were feeling that there's something wrong Okay, genocide happened. Do we need the recognition? It happened. Oh, everybody knows that the British ambassador, American ambassador, French ambassador, German ambassador, everybody, they have tons of reports about the genocide. So no need for recognition. They felt that, that the parties, the political parties in diaspora, the Armenian political parties, they want to keep the people in the talking and, uh, and, and pursuing uh, imaginary things or, or unnecessary things. That's why when the civil war happened in Lebanon in 1975, it was a great opportunity when there was no more uh, government in Lebanon, everything was uh, open and free and everybody was doing whatever they want. A group of Armenian uh, young men formed the uh, Armenian secret army uh, for, for the, the liberation, for, for of, the Armenia. liberation of Armenia, Asala, which has the same um, abbreviation in uh, or acronym in French, although the order of words is different, Army Secret. Oui. And uh, this this is well known because if you stroll through the Hague, as I did just before flying here, you will see outside the Turkish embassy memorial plaques to yeah. Turkish ambassadors who were shot in the Hague in that time. There was also the Lisbon Five, so that yes. was uh, five yeah. Armenians of the Asala who yeah. shot Turkish diplomats. Yeah. But this was all pursuing this with respect, you'll, you'll permit me to say, pursuing this pipe dream of recognition of genocide. Yeah. I'm just trying to build up the, 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 the course of the things that brought to uh, our organization, the, the National Supreme Council of Western Armenia and uh, some other governments of Western Armenia. I'm, I'm trying to build it up. 
those guys, the Asala, the Armenian Secret Army of Liberate, they um, they um, succeeded to to execute operations, brutal operations, assassinations, yeah. uh, hostage keeping in, in embassies, and and etc. etc. Hundreds of operations that that led to nothing because they didn't have a political cover. They didn't have, for example, the support of the Armenian parties, for example. Parties are not military. Okay, then go and invest those, those operations uh, for political gain or, or something, uh, achievement. But huh? the, unlike the IRA, Asala didn't have a political wing. Exactly, exactly. That's why uh, very soon, during 10 years of the life of Asala, let's say, uh, many inside conflicts uh, has uh, arisen uh, and and uh, it was uh, demolished just because there was no political body that reflects the political and national uh, aspiration or, or the, the, the uh, desires of the diaspora Armenians. And this brings us to about 1983, which if I'm not mistaken is when the Western Armenian National Supreme Council was set up. No, no, not yet, not yet. There were few, uh, few attempts to create like uh, exile parliament or a senate, a senate, uh, Armenian senate, that was supposed to contain all the thinkers, the independent thinkers, even political uh, figures uh, and, and party members, uh, to reflect the political will of the diaspora Armenians and to negotiate mm -hmm. in behalf of them in the international uh, lobbies. Because the Soviet Union wasn't going to speak for them. Of course, of course, forget. Uh, this is a, another story that Eastern Armenia uh, joined the Soviet Union and uh, uh, resigned from all the rights were given to the Armenian state, the Armenian, the United Armenian State in, in uh, Paris uh, Peace Conference in yes. 1920 and in Sevres, Treaty of Sevres and in the arbitrary award of uh, Woodrow Wilson. Yes. Eastern Armenia, they resigned from all those uh, rights and joined Soviet Union. Correct. Now the Western Armenians have to solve their problems alone. That's why... Just before we get into that, in a two-sentence summary for those who are lost in the detail of post-First World War, in a nutshell, and I'm sure you'll correct yeah. me, the Treaty of Sevres was one of the series of Versailles conferences, or Versailles was one of the first of them. Sevres was the one that... Uh, one of five treaties mm -hmm. to fix the, the end of the First World War. And this included a commitment by... Uh, a requirement upon Turkey, though Turkey didn't accede to it, a requirement upon Turkey to let the former Tsarist uh, territories, including Eastern Armenia, plus the province of Kars at least, to be Armenian, to, to be given to a new country called much Armenia. More, much, much more, much more, much more. There are six articles in Treaty of Sevres that belongs to the forming of the Armenian state, mm -hmm. which is the united, eastern and western together. And we have to go back a bit further because Britain was the power from the 1870s onwards when the Russians were starting to win territory in this part of the world from yeah. the retreating Ottomans, the sick man of Europe. Britain was the power that always insisted that while there should be concerns about the Armenian population, there should never be mention of Armenia in any of these treaties. It was not to be an embryonic state. Yeah, yeah. It was to be a permanent reason for intervention, yes. but not a state. Yes. If you go now to all the historic uh, 
publications uh, that was uh, produced by British, you find nothing about Armenians. Like they were never existed. Yeah. Huh? As if there were already plans to use the territory or the name of the Armenians yes, for something yes, else. Yes, yes. But anyway, the Treaty of Sever, it's a, it's a horrible mishmash as it is in the Baltic. Let me put it uh, uh, in the right way because I'm so deep involved in Treaty of Sever. Yeah. You've, you've written a whole book in Arabic which yes. should, should appear in English soon as well yeah, yeah. about Western Armenia and the year 1920. But do yes, explain. Yes. Um, Britain was one of the signatories of Treaty of Sevres, one of the main signatories. And even the foreign ministry of uh, Britain presented to the, put on the table of Paris Peace Conference, a map of the Armenian state, which is very big. You use it on the cover of your book. Yes. It includes yes. the historic Armenian province of Cilicia at the eastern end of the Turkish exactly, south coast. Exactly. And the same, the same map was presented also by the head of the Armenian delegation to the peace conference, Mr. Boris Nubar Pasha. And he represents, he was called the national Armenian delegation. There was also yes. the speaker of the nascent parliament of Armenia, but he was soon out of a job. So, of Yerevan, not yes, Armenia. But yeah. Boros uh, continued and he, until course. 1923. Boros, he represented... Boros, Boros Nubar Pasha was assigned, first of all, by the uh, holy um, chair of the Echmiadzin. So the, uh, the archbishop of the country. Yes. Kevork V. The Catholicos, I think. Yes. yes. And he uh, assigned Kevork Numbar Pasha as the head of the Armenian national delegation uh, in Europe in 1912, even before the genocide. Uh, he, was, he was assigned to convince the eastern countries to put pressures on Ottomans to bring uh, reformation, uh, reforms yeah. uh, to the Ottoman empires, to, 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 to reform the this life of the This was the big pressure and for the yeah. last 30 years when there were horrible massacres going on in cities like Adana yeah. under Sultan Abdul Hamid yeah. in the yeah. 1890s. The whole point was the Sultan and his people were very afraid that this call for reforms by Britain, France and Russia would lead to territorial losses. Yeah. So after the genocide, the mission of Bosnia Bar Pasha and the Armenian national delegation turned into defending, defending the Armenians uh, from the atrocities of uh, yeah. the Ottomans. They, they weren't official participants at Sevra, but they were invited to speak to the, the uh, victorious Allied powers, and it was Boros uh, Nubar Pasha's map, which found its way, this is your key finding, isn't it? This yes. map found yeah. its way into two documents simultaneously. Yes, do explain. That, that means they, they, they agreed together. I mean, British was playing one role with the Armenians, but behind the curtains were sabotaging the same thing that was agreed with the Armenians, because they had much far uh, plans mm -hmm. uh, which a great or big Armenia uh, does not exist. So Armenia stood shouldn't, in the way yes, of, shall yeah. we say, financial or yes, globalist yes. plans. So, so the, tell us about this map, or for, before we get into it, the other part of the puzzle is Woodrow Wilson was US president. He yeah. was well known all through Eastern Europe, Christian and Muslim, for championing 14 points of self-determination yes. uh, to such an extent that the city now called Bratislava, capital of Slovakia, was for a short while when Slovakia was a new state called Wilsonovo Mesto, Wilsonville. Mm -hmm. Now, Wilson was asked by the League of Nations, the UN of its day, much, much as we don't like global bodies, it was a fact mm -hmm. of life, and by the Conference of Allied Powers meeting in, in France, both of them said, President Wilson, will you be the mandatory 
so the, the statesman responsible for Armenia. He accepted. Admittedly, the US Senate refused to ratify that. But <clears throat> in that capacity, Woodrow Wilson was the man who was uh, to safeguard the Armenian interest and to draw the final borders of the Armenian state, just when this was coming to the boil. Yeah. Right? And now we get to this map. Okay. In the end of uh, Paris uh, Peace Conference, uh, there was a decision from the Supreme Council of the Allied Forces, which were four countries, Great Britain, France, Japan, and Italy. So they declared two points. First, uh, they recognized the state of Armenia, mm -hmm. and they meant the united Eastern with Western, the big Armenia. Second point, it says uh, that the borders of this state to be defined later on. So, in San Remo, in April 1920, this was this was declared that the recognition of the state was declared in 19th, 19 January 1920. In April 1920, in San Remo, 26 countries applied officially to the President of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, to be the arbitrator uh, the, the arbiter uh, to, to define the borders between the Armenian state, the United Armenian state, and the remaining of Turkey. Yes, and on the ground, of course, there was this fledgling Republic of Armenia, but the, the, more generally, there was this thing called Transcaucasia, which was not yet absorbed into the Soviet Union because of the civil war there. So there was a chance on the ground to, to fossilize the fact. Transcaucasia was dissolved in that time, in 1920. It lived only two or three months. In 1918, it was dissolved in May. So, uh, going back to the peace conference, 26 countries applied for arbitral award, applied to Woodrow Wilson. And if you read about the arbitral awards in the international law, it is obligatory and binding to those who apply and to the side that uh, publish the, the arbitral award, take the decision to publish the, which is United States. So 27 countries, including Turkey and Armenia, because they were, uh, they, they applied also, uh, they are obliged and uh, it binds them to the borders that were defined by Woodrow Wilson. And Woodrow Wilson uh, sealed this arbitral award with the great seal of the United States, which means this arbitral award, now it's part of the American law. I mean, all the presidents of America, by not implementing this, those borders between the state of Armenia, the big, the United, and Turkey, they are betraying the American law before, before anything, any other uh, thing. Did this get through the U.S. Senate, though, in order to get the Great Seal it? It doesn't need the Senate. When the, the President puts the Great Seal, it's not the seal of the President that must be uh, uh, ratified by the Senate. It is the Great Seal of the United States. That's final. So, uh, the borders that uh, Woodrow Wilson drew uh, doesn't match with the map 
presented by the Armenian delegation and the British delegation. It's and about it's about the half. We just remind ourselves that the map presented by the Armenian national delegation under Povos Nobar Pasha yeah. and the map presented, I think, the same month by the British delegation in... 7th France. of February, British Foreign Ministry delegation presented a memorandum containing the map. 26th of Gen uh, February, the same yeah. month, after 19 days, Povos Nobar Pasha presented the uh, the Armenian side's memorandum, Identical which contains, yes, yes. contains... But now, President Wilson's map does not match these two. No, it's smaller, but still we agreed because in the end it's a, it's a state. It's not... Uh, it would have been a landlocked state, but it would have been a substantial Middle Eastern state and it would have contained the bulk of the Armenian population. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it is uh, necessary to, to remember also that uh, Woodrow Wilson, many called him uh, a romantic or, or a dreamer uh, uh, president or, or a political figure. The 14 uh, points of uh, Woodrow Wilson were very important to establish a just world uh, where, where uh, nations respect the mutual interest of each other and uh, trade roads uh, should have been uh, respected and protected, etc. Very much so. Wilson had two sides to him. In our circles, he's often derided as just the plaything of Colonel Houseman, the British placeman. Yeah. But his by upbringing, he was a very conscientious Presbyterian. Uh, in his early days, he rejected, in the presidency, he rejected the Monroe Doctrine because he said it wasn't founded on any divine law. And uh, in the negotiations with Britain at the end of the First World War, he behaved much like Roosevelt at the end of the Second World War in standing up to the British and the Dutch and French, in fact, and saying, you cannot continue your colonialism in the New World. Yeah. That's why Woodrow Wilson wanted a, a, a big and strong Armenia in the region. But the Senate uh, disagreed because uh, the Senate are uh, globalists and uh, Freemasons, name them as you want. I mean, they belong to that, uh, the, the hidden state, the deep state. So they rejected even the, uh, re they rejected the, the mandate of United States over the new established Armenian state. Woodrow Wilson wanted to, to, uh, to give the mandate to Armenia. British, Britain, uh, refused, French refused, because they knew that this will never happen. There's another plan. There will be there a strong Turkey led by uh, Kamal Atatürk, the Dönme Jew, the crypto Jew. He's not Turk, he's not a Muslim. Uh, he should rule the, this 850,000 square kilometers big Turkey, because in the future they will create Israel in Palestine and that will form the vertical axe that will keep Middle East under the control of the globalists. And you in fact told me that Ataturk on his deathbed yes. sent his doctors and nurses out of the room and told the visiting British ambassador, after five minutes of pensive pause, he said, I want you, Mr. Ambassador, to succeed me as President of Turkey. Yes, this explains everything. This explains everything. And when he refused, he said, well, I'll appoint Inanu then. Alex. 
the picture of Atatürk is always there on the walls of the official offices in Turkey until today, from leftist to rightist to military to... to, to, to uh, Islamist. Islamist, but the picture of Atatürk is always there. Once I said uh, it's better to put the picture of the Queen Elizabeth there, because the real owner of Turkey, the modern Turkey, is England. Or, let's say, true England... The city that, of London, we might say. That the, the deep state that is uh, aiming to, to, to establish one world uh, government or one order. I think our listeners will understand that, having seen what, what role Turkey has played in, in various wars in the last few years, yeah. covered by UK column, they will understand what you're saying. I call Turkey is a rule more than a state. That's why when Erdogan lost lost his role uh, in 2015 after the interference of the uh, Russian army in Syria, he started to search for new role to keep the existence of Turkey. And the next year there was an attempted coup against him. Yes. How do you explain that? Let's return to the Albert Pike's Third World well. War uh, uh, description. It says the civilized West against the Islamic State. But then, what's the Turkey? Supposed, the supposed was that Turkey will support those uh, ISIS and extremist Islamists to conquer Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, even Israel and Jordan. Then the Western civilized uh, naval forces will come to, uh, to, to, to save the humanity from those uh, right. blah, blah, blah. So Pike, Pike and Mazzini did not foresee that Turkey would in the end become the cuckoo in the nest in NATO and actually be attracting countries in, Muslim countries into NATO to subject them to, shall we say, course, political Zionism. Then, then, then in the detailed planning, of course Britain has a big role in this, uh, they found that they need some uh, strong supporter of the Islamic coming Islamic State in the north, which will be Turkey. The best description of Armenia's location is northern Middle East, right? So you are slap bang right in the way of yes, the plan. Yes, yes, yes. So no need for Armenia. There must be a big state of Turkey there that will support the Islamism in the region. When I said the, the young uh, movements, the young Turks, they became Ittihad Vattaraki, the, the party of the uh, government after Sultan Abdul Hamid. No? It's the same party with the same ideology of today's Erdogan's party. And it's the same uh, principles of uh, Islam-Muslim Brotherhood. So you understand, Muslim Brotherhood is the ideology provider of the Islamist, uh, extremist Islam. Turkey is pretty unique. I know it's relented in recent years, but it's been, through the 20th century, unique in insisting that nobody who belongs to an ethnic minority can deny their Turkishness. They must call themselves a Turk. Yeah. And if you say, I am a Kurd or an Armenian, for many decades you would go to a nasty prison for saying it, even to underage people. Yeah, yeah. And th this explains it all, because th this, this is a, a, an imposed ideology. Oppression, typical yeah. oppression, the same mentality. And they, they have now banned genetic and genealogical testing which would otherwise reveal that millions of people in what's now Eastern Turkey are your cousins. Anyway, there. let's yeah. return to the uh, Western Armenians, how they organize themselves uh, after finding that we need 
a body. In 93, you mentioned that there was an attempt. Yes, there was many attempts in 80s, late 80s, uh, 90s, to form this body, political body that represent the Eastern Armenians, the Diaspora Armenians. And they failed mainly because the political parties, Armenian political parties in Diaspora, paid by the West, they sabotaged forming that uh, political body. So the things developed that way until a few, uh, a few Armenian young men, uh, they come up with the idea that we have the international recognition of the Armenian state. And in the international law, it is defined that the states are uh, irrevocable. You can't erase them uh, whenever you want. Yes. Once you recognize a state, the state remains, even if it doesn't function, even if it doesn't have a government. So we said, why we don't form a government this is to take care of the land of the state, yeah. even in its occupied status? This is why in the world, Second World War, there were such things as governments in exile in yes. London. Because you're quite right, there are two streams of thought that predominate in international law as to how states can be created yes, lawfully. Yes. One involves a government with an effective control of the territory and the other doesn't. But neither of these persuasions, as you say, uh, allows for a nation to renege on its recognition. Yeah. So the second one is the just one. Because exactly like the Armenian example, we have the recognition, we have the land, we have the borders of the land, mandatory, even for Britain uh, and United States and Turkey and 27 uh, countries together. But we don't have the control because there, was, uh, there were oppressions. There were bloody operations to prevent us taking the lead of our country, to manage our country and to start to build our country. So what to do? To lose the right? just because someone had the weapon and the, and the plan to, to, to prevent us from uh, building our, our nation, our country? Of course not. So the right never dies. You should take care of that right. You are the owner of that right. You have to stand up and say, this is my right and I'm not absent. I'm here, I'm present and I want to exa uh, exp uh, uh, to, 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 to do my to my, exercise my to right. Exer yes. exercise my, my yes. right. So this is what we did. But also like the the same situation of Asala. We soon felt that guys we need a supervising body. A supervising body means like the same political body that should be formed from different sides of the uh, diaspora, Armenian diaspora, to supervise the function of the government. So before the government, we need that body. We need yeah. to form that body. Because if you're not an effective, I, the, if you're not in control of your territory, yeah. you can't have the judiciary and the legislature overseeing the executive. Exactly. Therefore, you need a council. Exactly. So we didn't have the, that supervising uh, body. We didn't have a national concept. Otherwise, the government that is formed by, let's say, 20, 30 person 
they can decide just any any dangerous decisions that might uh, even uh, give more harm to mm. our cause than any, any good. They could be bribed by foreign interests. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, so to be serious and to be acceptable from uh, the other sides, we should now first have this supervising body and then this body will issue the national concept, the doctrine, and then the government will be limited into the, the, by, by the, the, uh, the, the limitations of the concept. You can't just decide decisions uh, as per your desire uh, because you, you like it. No. So, uh, of course, whoever was the president or whatever uh, in position, they rejected this uh, idea. No, we are, we, we are, and we can, and we will. We. That's why we went out of all this uh, circus of Western Armenia governments and we went working very hard because this is very hard uh, uh, obligation to form that body you have to form it in just way you cannot just bring uh, 50 60 even 100 or 200 personalities of your uh, choice and say this is the body that represents the western armenians no we Work, now we are working continuously. Why our name is uh, the, the funding body of the uh, National Supreme Council of Western Armenia? Since three years now we are working on fund, funding, founding this Supreme Council. We didn't call ourselves the Supreme Council. We are still the founding body. You are. Should, should we... If it's not too grand a claim, and I don't think it is, you could say that you are the constitutional convention for Western Armenia. We are on the way to form it. We are in contact now with the most active and, uh, and influential thinkers and political activists all over the world in our all uh, centers of diaspora and trying with them to put the internal uh, constitution let's say of the uh, council then we issued a 64 pages the draft of western armenians western armenians national concept the draft and send it to all those personalities we are planning now to uh, waiting for the right moment to make our first gathering convention i suppose convention. Say, yes where all those 144 members, uh, now we have a, a list of 144 members, will come together and approve the na national concept and uh, the internal uh, constitution and uh, form um, sub-committees in the foreign policy, financial, educational, etc. to take care of different issues uh, that... Uh, but during the, this time, uh, until that first uh, conference, founding conference, we started to pave the way of the Council by uh, getting in touch with governments, because this is very important. You need, you need recognition of governments. This is the stage at which it becomes clear that you're not playing around. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, the governments will not give you the recognition if they are not sure that you really represent the the big part or or the really decision mm -hmm. of the diaspora. You represent the the, the uh, aspirations and the, and the seeking um, ideas of diaspora, nationally and politically. And we had uh, some success with few countries. I will not name them now uh, because it's in, in the process, but with good results. I mean, uh, mutual trust, and even we have some plans for the future with, with uh, certain big countries. Let me say one of the, 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 the main countries. We have to work that way. We have to work that way. Uh, desires never uh, bring solutions. Being pragmatic, because we can speak again as we spoke about the Armenian genocide and seeking the, the, the recognition for 100 years, we can speak more 100 years about the Armenian rights. But in fact, what we need to do is to present to the world, this is our responsibility, to present to the world the model of the country that will exist after the collapse of current Turkey and re-establishing the Armenian state, the United Armenian state. Everybody will, will want to know that what's, in it, what's for me in it. For example, the, the nearest superpower is Russia. We'll say what's for me in it. I'm dealing with Turkey. Why to <laughs> uh, leave the Turkey to collapse and create uh, the Western Armenia once again, uh, where we don't know what will happen to our relations? No, it's our obligation to explain. Britain, the same thing. France, the same thing. Even they don't have the same influence now in this area anymore like they had 100 years uh, before. That's why I had a conversation with a British uh, former uh, diplomat and I was very frank. I said, you are out of the uh, region. He said, yeah, you are correct. You, you named the moment, didn't you? You said, with your pull-out from Afghanistan, you've left the Middle East. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, I don't want to go that much... Although, navally, as a side note, the British Navy, which no longer really exists, has now a defence policy of returning to Asia, yeah. but they mean Southeast Asia and they mean through their allies. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we were obliged to give an example, to, give the, to, to explain the model of the Western Armenia that we are seeking to form in the future. Uh, what the Arabs will uh, have with this, neighboring Arabs like Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, uh, Jordan, etc., Greek, uh, Iran, for example, all they will ask, why to change the map? if we don't have uh, some, some uh, benefits. Well, your, your book and your other thinking makes clear that, and I, not just you, but the whole of the Western Armenian National Supreme Council, you do regard the scope of the future partnership of countries around of Western Armenia, you regard it as extending to Greece and Cyprus in the West, Iran in the East, okay, potentially let's put, let's put Georgia. Let's this way, yeah. I will explain. Uh, for the audiences to understand it in better uh, or, or more clearer picture. Since we said that Middle East is the heart of the, of the planet, and if we want peace, uh, stability, and, and, and uh, prosperity to the planet, then first we have to start 
from the Middle East. Middle East should experience peace, stability and security and prosperity. Without this first step, the world will continue living or experiencing this chaos that is uh, exhausting humanity anymore. We cannot take it anymore. So, to do so, you should not uh, rely on Russia or United States or Britain or France or, or China. You should rely on your own uh, Reg power. Regional powers. Regional powers. And if divided we cannot provide this power, then united we will try to provide this power. So imagine Western Armenia, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Palestine, Jordan, together maybe Cyprus and Greece can join, and maybe if now or in the future Iran and Egypt can join. Maybe Georgia? Maybe, why not? If we are uh, seeking the same goal, why not? Why not? So, imagine the unity. It's not a big deal. I mean, uh, custom unity and, and mutual defense unity. That's it. We, are, we, we, we didn't say let's merge but all together. In currently, a, in there, there are some snakes in the grass here. Yeah. Because the EU started off as a customs union and NATO started off as a mutual defense pact and now they are two uh, claws of a globalist crab. My, my dear friend, if you can form this much of big and strong unity like the European Union and you serve not your own people but global plans you will collapse for sure, if not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, after tomorrow. Well, in, in this, this region, the, the, the tradition is that people, the, the so-called street, people will stand up and take no nonsense if they see things going that okay. way. Okay, imagine today when the, the, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict or the operation is still on, you can see it very clear. The German people or even the government, the French or not necessarily the government, in Italy, they don't want to be enemies with Russia, but they are obliged, like uh, Lithuania, they are obliged to be enemies with Russia because someone behind the walls decided so. It is against the, the national interest of Germany, national interest of France, national interest of Italy, national interest of everybody in Europe, but still they are doing exactly Whatever, between brackets, USA says, but it is not USA in my opinion. It's not it even. Is, it is the deep state. It's not even trying. Israel as a state, is it? It's no, something no, no, deeper no, than at that. all, at all, deeper, deeper than that. Israel, even Israel, is a tool, is a temporary footstep. Who cares about the Jews? No one. You think those globalists care about the Jews, about Israel? Well, uh, some people in our circles found it hard to accept what you said until they saw the COVID jab rollout in Israel, which was even ahead of Britain in time and in volume. And it became clear then that the adverse side effects upon Jews and other Israeli citizens was of no concern to those who call the shots in Tel Aviv. 
They don't care. They are using them. They are abusing them, abusing the Jews. They don't care about any nation, even those who are serving them to them today. They don't care about Freemasonry. They don't care about the Jews. They don't care about Armenians. They don't care about anybody. They want 500 million of uh, planet population and uh, in harmony enslave, with nature. Yeah, enslave them. And it may even and, have been. And realize the dream of Pell that our hike fought against 14,500 years ago. My last question, Karnik, would be if you manage to pull it off, if you manage to have your embryonic government take control of the territory of Western Armenia and thereby enforce your internationally recognized sovereignty, which has never gone away, what kind of role will the new Greater Armenia play as a state in the Middle East? What will it add to current relations in the Middle East? I can brief it in a very simple way. We will not be, first of all, uh, an area or a spot of the other's conflict on our land. So no British deep state meddling? No, 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 no. No one can fight another country over our land. Over our land, everybody can come and talk to each other. This is Sheikh Imran Hussein's vision. He's talking about Armenia welcoming persecuted Muslims in. And he's saying in return, scholars like him are going to call, if you are attacked again by Azerbaijan and Turkey, for pious Muslims to come to your defense. Yeah. So that's in harmony with your vision. Our, our vision about religions might not, might not uh, please uh, Sheikh Omran, uh, but as we said and uh, we fixed this, that we will have the biggest church in Western Armenia. We will have the biggest mosque. We will have the biggest synagogue. And let the people go there, uh, worship your God, or, or, or do, your, do your belief the way that you want. But once you go out of the, this, this building, you leave it there inside. In the state, we are all humans. Regardless, I don't want to know what is your religion outside in the street. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. This is the, this is between you and God. This is how you grew up in Syria. This yes, was the Syrian yes, model. Yes, yes. And this is the natural way. What is my business in how you worship God? What is my business? Maybe you have a better way for you, and I have a better way for me. Why you want to convert me, or I convert you, or I oppress you, you oppress me? That's why we have enough experience through thousands of years, so we know this time when we have our state how to, how to establish it and how to uh, manage the life in it. We want to be an example and this is not a dream. This is what must happen so the Middle East enjoys stability, security and, and peace and prosperity that will reflect inevitably over the whole planet because Middle East is the model whatever happens in the Middle East happens in the world in and the for just to reconfirm none of your National Supreme Council colleagues or visionaries are advocating the expulsion 
or much less forced conversion or forced adoption of anyone in that territory, the things that were practiced upon you a hundred years ago. Nobody is saying we must expel or absorb the Turks as our We millions. declared many times, we said, all the indigenous people of the area, the Syriacs, Assyrians, Yezdis, Kurds, etc. They can consider Western Armenia their, their home and motherland. Come, use or, or experience, express your, your, your culture, your religion, your language as you want. Just don't sabotage or don't shake the stability of the state. You have to, you have to respect the constitution and respect the rules and then you are free to live the life as per your uh, wish. I will close then with the opening line of a book only available in Russian so far, written by our mutual friend and colleague Gevorg Virats, mm. in a book entitled The Apricots of Malatya, uh, mm. a travelogue of his. He begins his book by saying, since Noah's Ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat, nobody is a stranger in Armenia. Yes, exactly, exactly. Karnik Sarkisyan, thank you very much for your time and your vision. Thank you very much, and I apologize from the audiences if my English was not enough to express all that I wanted to say. Perfectly fine to me. Thank you. Thank you very much.